Welcome to episode 24 of Colin Talk as we discuss the opioid epidemic in America, which is affecting so many lives around us nationwide. So let's get started. All right, please welcome Dr. Jim Shames, the medical director at Jackson County Public Health. Hi there. And then also welcome Laura Hesacker, the behavioral health innovation specialist for Jackson Care Connect, who was recently honored as an outstanding ambassador through Lines of Life, which is an organization dedicated to preventing substance abuse and suicide. Hello and thank you. All right, and they're here to talk today about some fantastic work going on in the Jackson County region of Oregon, where their collaborative efforts are really making a difference on the opioid issues in and around our communities and possibly even worldwide. So starting off, can you each give us a little brief introduction on who you are, what your organizations do, and how you got involved in the fight against opioids? Uh, I could, I, I can go first. So I'm a primary care physician, and uh, for the last 15 years, I've been the uh, public health physician for uh, Jackson County. And it was pretty clear uh, early on that uh, people dying of opioid overdoses, primarily prescription drug overdoses, was a major public health issue. It was killing more citizens than vehicle accidents or infectious diseases or any one of a number of public health issues. So that that's how I got involved. And that was about 12, 15 years ago. And uh, I've been working in a collaborative way with other members of the community ever since. All right. And how about Great. Laura? Yeah. So I first got involved in working with people with chronic pain um, about 25 years ago, working in a pain rehabilitation clinic, and then went on to work um, in a primary care behavioral health um, consultation model, which is where I ended up meeting Jim about 10 years ago here in Jackson County, and basically was working alongside primary care providers, working with people with chronic pain, and really beginning to see the effects of of long-term opioid use for chronic pain, and then um, joined Jim and our uh, Oregon Pain Guidance Group and just started working as a community to try to um, to develop different, pra- you know, different and safer practices around uh, prescribing opioids and treating chronic pain. All right. Thank you. So just to give our listeners a quick background on opioids in the United States, how many people in the United States are dying from opioid abuse and overdose each year? Um, I, I can handle this. So we had about 62,000 uh, overdose deaths last year. And if you look, it's kind of hard to describe a graph uh, verbally, but if, if you could look at the graph of overdose deaths over time, what you would see is that uh, there's been a remarkable increase, four, five, six-fold increase over the last 20 years. And over time, different drugs have been prominent. Uh, so if you go back, let's say, 10 years, uh, prescription opioids uh, were, were the primary drug. Heroin was, was a fairly distant second, really. If you go back three or four years, heroin caught up to prescription opiates, and fentanyl was beginning to become something that people were paying attention to. And if you look at last year, there were more fentanyl overdose deaths and heroin, and more heroin than prescription opioids. Um, but uh, and then there's other drugs, there's methamphetamines and cocaine, and and 
um, you know, other drugs involved as well. Okay. And so moving on to kind of the, the safe injection facilities that are increasingly becoming prominent around the globe where really anybody can inject illicit drugs under medical supervision. So how does this help prevent overdoses or other medical emergencies? And do you think it's really working? I'm going to let you, you take something by that, Laura. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. Um, so uh, safe injection sites are, uh, you know, they're fairly common around, as you said, around the world. Uh, San Francisco is going to be uh, a safe injection site starting later this year, I think. Uh, and it's it's part of the um, the philosophy of of taking taking folks who are addicted to substances where they're at and doing all we can to keep them safe, not to judge them, not to moralize, not to not to bring things that are really not scientifically based uh, into the conversation. And if you can take folks who are doing something as dangerous as uh, injecting drugs and have them do it in a place where uh, they're likely to use safe equipment. They're somebody who can watch them in case they overdose. You can educate them about where treatment might be. You can provide them with counseling, with services. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me, and it certainly made a lot of sense to um, uh, other organizations, and it made a lot of sense to the uh, politicians in San Francisco who've decided uh, to initiate this uh, uh, this uh, particular policy. All right. And so it sounds like these are working pretty well. But what about um, President Trump? What has he done to combat opioid abuse, if much anything at all? <laughs> Laura, do you want to jump into this or do you want me to do this one too? You, Jim, yeah. <laughs> um, so... I really don't see an indication that President Trump really cares about issues like this. So uh, whatever President Trump is doing, uh, I, I suspect it is not with the eye towards how can I, how can I benefit this particular population. So I, I, I have a hard time with the question phrased that way. Um, we're, uh, what I'm afraid of is that we will – uh, continue to um, uh, make make the use of illicit substances and make the use of drugs a law enforcement issue when in fact it's really a public health and a um, a medical treatment behavioral health issue and so I, I suspect that's his instincts and I suspect that's the instincts of the folks that he surrounds himself with it's certainly the instinct of the uh, attorney general and um, I think that's very counterproductive. So what you're saying is um, basically your opinion is that uh, op you don't see opioid, the opioid epidemic getting any better um, as far as overdoses and anything like that under President Trump. Well, if he had ultimate power, I'd say no, but he doesn't, of course. You know, he's just he's just part of a political machinery. I think I think that. Um, everybody recognizes that we've got a big problem here and that uh, there's a lot of forces at play. And um, I, I'm fairly confident that we will continue to recognize the seriousness of it and uh, put efforts toward it. All I'm saying is uh, 
I just want to make sure that that a disproportionate amount of that effort don't go towards punishment and the war on drugs, which has not been successful. Right. So, Laura, do you have anything to say on that? No, I'm deferring to Jim on that one. Okay. What do you believe is the next step to fight the use of opioids and the doctors prescribing them? Laura, this has got to be your your first. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think there's there's so many things, and you know I'll I'll rattle off a few, and then Jim can can chime in. Um, you know, in 2016, the CDC came forward and you know published the guidelines for prescribing opioids for chronic pain, and I I think that one of the first things that we've got to be doing is getting those guidelines into the hands of uh, prescribers as well as clinics and helping them to develop workflows and you know really changing what had been you know 20 plus years of of you know doing things in a different way which was you know prescribing opioids for chronic pain and you know we really know now that you know best best practices you know are to to not be prescribing opioids for chronic pain so but but you know but we really need to make sure that the information gets out there and support them in um, making these changes and you know I think I think it it's definitely, um, you know, true that um, this is not just like changing from, you know, one blood, blood pressure medication to another blood pressure medication. I mean, this is um, people, many of uh, providers have patients who have been on these medications for, you know, you know, decades and that their brains have become, you know, uh, potentially addicted but definitely dependent and um, and it's, it's going to be tough to be, you know, with some of the patients for sure in, in helping them to get off of these medications. So um, I think that would be my number one thing is really to get the, you know, the best practices out there and help our clinics and our providers um, begin to, to make these changes. Right. And we're going to have to take initiatives to prevent, you know, opioid overdoses and things like that in a community, but not not just the big leaders in, in Washington. So um, how might we as a community get involved to help keep opioids out of the hands of not just the younger generation, but but everybody? Yeah, I'll take a stab at this. I mean, and then again, Jim, love for you to chime in. Um, I, I think that when we're looking at what we would call sort of opioid naive, you know, people who are not um, being prescribed opioids have not been exposed to opioids, say for for pain or chronic pain. What we really need to be doing is beginning to change our conversation around pain, and that you know the um, you know big pharma and you know the the companies that that made these drugs and market these drugs have put a lot of money, time, and energy into sort of getting us as a society to believe that pain is something to be sort of gotten rid of. And um, I think that we've got our work cut out for us as a society, definitely uh, also at the community level to begin to change that messaging. And um, there's some interesting work that people are doing across Oregon where they're, you know, going into high schools and, you know, holding sessions where they're sort of helping people understand more um, about pain and, you know, educating around pain. Um, so I think, you know, these are some of the, the different initiatives that we need to be um, spreading across, you know, our communities. Right. And Jim, do you have anything to say on that? Uh, I think that was really well stated. Um, a couple of things. One is I think we have to respect 
the the power of opiates. These are these are drugs that you know I think for thousands and thousands of years people have understood um, can you know can get you in trouble if you take too many for too long, and we sort of briefly forgot that. Well, well, what happened was we were uh, we were led to believe by folks that were manufacturing uh, pain pills that these drugs were way safer than they turned out to be, and that we probably should have recognized that they were. So, I guess what I'm as we talk about the drugs, we just need to remember we're talking about very powerful drugs that affect us at a very profound level, and that have the potential of getting all of us really in trouble uh, in the sense that, you know, if you take it long enough, you're going to have withdrawal and many people just lose control and the drug takes over. Um, and the other piece is just to reinforce what Laura said about, about pain and the fact that, uh, you know, there's many, many cultures that see pain as just a part of living a life and that, you know, if you have some arthritis pain as you get older or if you hurt yourself, that, uh, that you sort of you manage it, you learn some degree of self-sufficiency, and we've taken a different approach culturally, and uh, I think we need to uh, we need we need to learn some new skills around uh, accepting pain and managing pain. Yeah, and I I just want to add because specifically you asked about keeping opioids out of the hands of our younger generation, and I I yeah. think that we also need to recognize that there are people that are going to continue to be on. Um, prescription opioids for, you know, pain and 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 uh, addiction, if you will, um, that we need to be working on uh, helping people develop uh, safe storage, um, and that you know, really helping people understand to, about keeping these medications um, in places where children are not going to be getting a hold of them. Right, and so how do we continue to spark a thriving conversation around opioids to make a change in America? You know, I think, again, sort of piggybacking on what, what we've already said, I mean, I, I think it is a bigger conversation around what we believe around pain. And, um, you know, we're, we need to be, you know, um, having conversations around pain being a natural part of living and that, you know, just, you know, just similar to, you know, kind of what Jim said earlier. I mean, you know, we have this mentality that, you know, every time you get a headache, you take a pill. And every time you, you know, you have an earache, you, you take antibiotics. And I think we just have a lot of uh, work to do ahead of ourselves in terms of changing um, sort of this perception around that, that pain is to be gotten rid of. Right. And Jim? The change, I think, is to... Yeah, I was going to say that I think uh, we also need to look at how we think about addiction. And there's a lot of stigma that, that we attach to people who have lost control of opiates or methamphetamine or alcohol, what have you. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really very much like a chronic disease. And... Uh, you know, folks have successes and they have relapses, but I think we need to uh, learn much more about about folks with with use disorders, and you know, accept them as as they, you know that could be us, that could be our children. That that you know, the problem is so large now; it, it, it's hard for anyone not to know somebody 
who has gotten caught up in these drugs and, and have lost control. So I think we need to be compassionate, uh, look at uh, substance use disorder uh, from a medical perspective and a compassion perspective as well. Yeah, I'd like to just chime in. Um, thank you, Jim, just sort of thinking about that. You know, people show up in places like the, you know, emergency, you know, the, the emergency department and in primary care and in the hospitals. And, and to date, our primary care providers have, have not had a lot of training in how to diagnose, assess, and diagnose people with substance use disorders. And that really needs to change. You know, we need to help them um, feel more comfortable having that conversation. And that's going to take, you know, training and support and, you know, and like Jim said, it's, you know, offering compassion around that, um, you know, this is not an easy thing for any of us to, to begin to do. But, but th those are some of the conversations that, you know, people need to be having when they show up in these various places. Right. And kind of segueing to another topic, um, due to the recent tragic school shootings like the one in Florida, um, we kind of have to focus on psychological care and how that um, relates to opioids because someone who's experiencing psychological distress, they could go to opioids to just relieve pain and kind of forget about, you know, what's going on. But really, what can President Trump do for psychological care? And what do you think he's done so far to to help psychological um, disorders or, you know, people that need psychological help and just opioids as well? You want to start on that one? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we're getting pretty sophisticated in being able to identify who's at risk for um, developing psychological challenges, mental health challenges, and, you know, through uh, studies like the Adverse Childhood Events, the ACE, the ACE study, we, we really can, we know based on what's happening in a child's life, what the probability of them um, developing struggles down the road. So, I mean, I think we we need to, you know, it's interesting we were just sort of having this conversation at our dinner table last night, but we need to get better at being able to intervene early on in a, in a person's life and wrap, you know, services and support and, you know, counseling and case management and, you know, all of these things around people at these younger ages and, you know, and that's, and, and, and really focusing on prevention and, and, and not waiting for somebody to be, you know, so traumatized um, that they're reaching for, you know, like you said, an opioid, whether that's a prescription opioid or whether that's, you know, um, something that a, a young person is offered at a party. So, I think it's. I think we know what we need to do, and now it's just a matter of developing initiatives to begin to to push that out across across our country. Jim, do you have anything to say on that? To embrace, yeah, we need we need to embrace a concept of a society where we're all in this together, and we don't allow people to be homeless. We don't allow people to um, to be so impoverished they just can't uh, they can't take a pair of basic life necessities. The, the studies that Laura's talking about show that trauma, childhood trauma, which is often related to uh, you know, your, your, your place in, in society, is highly related to the kinds of uh, folks you're talking about who have 
who have pain, uh, whether it be psychic pain or physical pain, uh, and they find that opiates relieve that pain, and they go there. So when you ask about what can Trump do, it's a it's a view of society rather than a society where we have a very few wealthy people and a whole lot of folks that are struggling. I think we need to view our society as a place where we're all one big community, and we have to do what we can to kind of bring up all boats to the same, some fundamental level. And lots of other cultures have figured that one out, and I would like to see our president figure that out as well. Okay. And so one question that wasn't necessarily, I, I didn't give it to you, but I just thought of it. Um, how readily available are uh, places where you can dispose of opioids, see if someone got some from their doctor to, you know, relieve whatever kind of pain, but now they're done with them, but they, you know, there's still some left in the bottle. Is there an easy way to get rid of those, and is it becoming more prominent? There are takebacks, um, you know, that first of all, you can, you can deposit uh, unused meds. I think at most police stations nowadays, and there's a, a movement to uh, establish that in every pharmacy in the state. And some pharmacies, I think I think Walgreens, for example, uh, has established that they're going to have that in all of their pharmacies. So I'm, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where if you go into your pharmacy and say, hey, why don't you have this, uh, then that'll probably encourage more of them to install them. But it's, it's happening, and I think it's going to Okay. And so if someone needs help, but they can't, they can't tell anybody because they're afraid, they're embarrassed, um, where, where can they go and who can they call? So um, we have a website that um, we've been working on over the last few years, and um, right now it's called Stay Safe Oregon, and there's a 1-800 helpline um, on that website. And so I think for right now, I would encourage people to um, to go to staysafeoregon.com and, um, and and call the helpline. Okay. And Jim, anything, anything else to say? No, I think... Uh... I think we covered it pretty well. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so thank much, you. Jim. And, thank you so much, Jim and Laura, for taking the time to come on the show and talk about the opioid epidemic in America. So, and the challenges that you know we're facing in the communities and the crucial work you're you're doing is is all very helpful to the opioid initiative and putting Oregon you know on the map for leadership and keeping this important work you know going in in Oregon. So. I can't wait to have you back on the show again sometime. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this show. It's really important. Really wonderful. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. That's our show. Be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and callandtalk.org for an episode bi-weekly. Be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to be featured on our website's testimonials. I'm Colin. Thanks for listening.